John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 762.2K0930, certificate number 29266, Mary Kay Pink Cadillacs. We were in uh, Glacier National Park last week. You with, and I? With the kids. Yeah, you and I. I barely got, remember. Got it. a little getaway. Well, it was a pretty wild week. <laughs> we melted all the glaciers. Yeah, I was. I must have been eating applets and cutlets, and uh, they don't have applets and cutlets. Do, do you know what they have there in Glacier? Yeah, uh, glacierlets and shringlets. <laughs> <laughs> what they have? Hucks. What H- are hucks? That's Huckleberry Country. Huckleberry. It's a Huckleberry-based economy, lifestyle, aesthetic. It's hard to overstate the importance of Huckleberry to Western Montana. <laughs> Is there a jamboree by any chance? I, there's got to be. I mean, not not in COVID year. Right, right, But there's right. got to be a Huckleberry parade, Miss Huckleberry, Huckleberry Hound. Sure. Uh, they uh, The Huckleberry cannot be domesticated. Or do- domesticated? <laughs> Is that what sure, the word? Sure, I think so. I don't know if that's true. No. Are, I, there, I, are there wild Huckleberries that used to surround our tents until we got them to watch our flocks? Did we talk about Huckleberries in the um, in the, in the, boy, the, the Boysenberry episode? I, I don't think we did. What a, what a lacuna. What a gaping hole in our berry knowledge. I do feel like domesticated is the word. You cannot domesticate a Huckleberry. Do you it, feel like you can domesticate corn? You can, I, 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 I'm looking for wild corn is what I'm looking for. I guess I, what I mean is commercially cultivated. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's not the same as domesticated. I think it's... I, I think we're on the same page. You can't plant a field of huckleberries. That's what and I'm why not? I have no idea. I think they need um, bees. <laughs> they need a for- they need some kind of natural forested environment, and maybe it's just inefficient. I see. To try to produce, it. so they have to be foraged, basically. Uh, so every late so July, so an army of bears has been <laughs> you're, domesticated. You're fighting. No, you're fighting the bears. Like the, the bear we saw, we drove in the gates of Glacier on our, on our first day there and the kids are all excited to see wildlife. And I'm like, sometimes you can't, sometimes you don't see the wildlife. And there's like a, there's a black bear, like right by the big, the big photo sign, just like looking for delicious huckleberries. Sometimes you see the bar and sometimes the bar sees you. Uh, yeah, I killed me a bar when I was only three. Hmm. That's a, that's a crime now in the state of Montana. So to kill a bar. Yeah. Yeah. They're protected. 
We uh, we actually did see a grizzly with a bunch of cubs walking no. around too. Yeah, really. And people are just crowding around, taking flash photos. I was like, this is going to go badly. Wait, there are still flash photos? Did they have a Kodachrome? They had the, a giant camera with a. Uh, wow. They're holding a flash <laughs> thing in their right hand, and so, the bear's like, covering its eyes. So were people like no. getting out of their cars yeah. and trying to get closer to the bear? Traffic stopped both ways wow. on the road. Here's what happened. The park, uh, there was a piece in the Washington Post last weekend about the, the travails of Glacier National Park. The Blackfoot Reservation decided not to open, decided to, to close their borders during COVID, basically. Yeah. Which is not crazy. The re- reses are just getting no, devastated makes, by the virus. Uh, makes good sense to me. And, the, you know, their culture is to protect the elders. You know, that's that's who would, you know, if, they, if the tourists continue to sweep across the Blackfoot Reservation, that's who gets sick. So they, unfortunately, that means you cannot get into the eastern side of uh, Glacier National Park. Glacier oh. National Park is now essentially a shoebox diorama. I see. With one end open to Idaho and then a closed back. And so you have to do the loop and go back out through Idaho. There's not even a loop. There's one road. <laughs> like in the 20s and 30s, they just blew. <laughs> it's it's. In, have you ever been to Glacier? Never been. It's just this. It's it's gorgeous, by the way. Like yeah. I got, Dylan got out of the car at one point, and you know, this jaded 17 year old. He's like, "Are you seeing this?" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "It the, the mountains." And like he just couldn't believe what he was seeing. It got him to look up from Skyrim. He's uh, like, "This is like real Skyrim." Yeah. Then he went back and played more Skyrim. <laughs> So you get to the end, there's a cul-de-sac. And yeah, so there's this one road that goes across the park, which normally would connect West Glacier and East Glacier. East Glacier is the reservation, and is, is the borders are closed, and the park's announced it's just not going to open. So while we were there, they finally got this road plowed and open because it's this insane V-shaped glacial valley where in the 20s and 30s, with 20s and 30s technology, they just had to go through and just try to dynamite a ledge into these sheer cliffs. Right. And I think it was mostly for the railway. The, the Great Northern Railway needed to go through there. Um, but they also built all these beautiful kind of ski chalet style grand old hotels on the lakes. So does it come out? Where does it come out? Does it come out around? Where Where is the Blackfoot Reservation? This is all north of Yellow. You know, the Yellowstone Tetons are kind of south. South, right? Like... Uh, you know, the top of Yellowstone is in Montana, but just barely. Right. Most of it's in Wyoming. Wyoming. So this is north all the way to the Canadian border. Glacier National Park oh. is actually the world's first international peace park because it's got this little Canadian adjunct. I see. Waterton Glacier Park or something that sticks up across the border. That, can you get to it? Can you get to the Canadian part from inside the park? Generally, yes. Uh, now, currently with the border closed, right. no. So it's a perfect representation of one of those population maps of, of North America where suddenly Canada's this little tiny hat uh-huh. sitting on big America. That's what Glacier National Park uh, looks like. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's whatever those sub-ranges of the Rocky Mountains are called. Uh, the Sawtooths or something. It is the Lewis Range. Oh, the Lewis Range. And some other range. But it's, it's all the way north. So it's by Kalispell... Yeah. I mean, there's like a, it, it's nice. There's like, there's, there's enough, you know, kind of fly fishing and other tourism there that there's like, you know, 45 minutes away. Lewis and Livingston ranges. So there's a big city with a, with a Costco and a Target 45 minutes away, but. Well, we, that's nice. We just stayed in a little cabin right by the park. We decided not to, we had this trip planned all year and we decided, look, if we just do it as a road trip, stay in this cabin, you know, we're not any bigger of a COVID footprint than anybody else. Uh, I used to go skiing at Schweitzer, which is up there. 
sort of north of Sandpoint. But I guess you're even in, in Idaho. In yeah, Idaho, right? yeah, it's a couple hours across the border, but right. it's it's surprisingly close to Seattle. Like it's, it, I was amazed at what a doable day trip it is. Even with stopping for lunch and gas, you can do the drive in nine hours. Oh wow, great! So we got back last night at six. Um, but so the Blackfoot have closed this. So this road this, where these beautiful vistas and overlooks are just kind of ends mm-hmm. at their at the little kind of mini mini mall convenience store town on the east end of the park, and then you have to. You know, there's a town up there back. called Jennings. Is that right? In Idaho yeah, or Montana? Jennings, Montana. Why didn't I go see my it's birthright? It's right there, right there next to Libby on Highway 37. I'm looking at the map now in the Kootenay National Forest. That's where we were. I think, um, I thought Jennings, Montana was like Joe Montana's butler, mm. butler brother. Mm. You're, you're, dis- <laughs> you're displeased with that. So the part, so this road had been closed to snowplow. So the the bears were just used to walking up and down it. I think. Yeah. So we just drive up and everyone's freaking out. Traffic stopped both ways because this mama grizzly bear and two two cubs are just kind of stomping right next to the road. And of course, the ranger comes up like, "What are you idiots doing? Everybody get a hundred yards away from the bear!" And she moves people and they just kind of it's like water. You know, yeah. they just kind of flow back to an, another place where they can dangerously see the bear. Uh, People who die by bear deserve it. I saw that growing up in Alaska a lot. You know, a grizzly bear appears to be fairly lazy and slow moving, like approachable even. But it turns out it's conserving energy to strike. It can can exhibit a burst of speed. It's been all those huckleberries it's been eating. (laughs) It can metabolize all that huckleberry sugar and then suddenly, like... Faster than the eye can meet, it'll have a, a fly in its chopsticks. Now, black bear, you can mess with all day. I highly recommend, just go up and poke it with a stick. Just try and antagonize it. It can't do anything. This it's, is our, its claws are plastic. This is your uh, advice to the children of America. Yeah, yeah. If you it, see a bear. If you're listening to this program and you can, and you can tell that it's a small bear... Go up and kick. Go it. have some fun. Go kick it. it it's <laughs> go kick it's it. It's full of laughs. Bears love it. They love it. They like to play. It wants to be kicked. But a grizzly bear. Bears crave discipline. Stay away. Danger. It, isn't it tricky in that some black bears are colored brown and maybe some brown bears are colored black? You know, there was a black bear uh, for a long time in the Anchorage Zoo that um, that they captured in Juneau. Uh, because he kept coming down out of the mountains into to, the town. To use the ATM. And um, he was blue. What? He was a black bear who had a kind of, uh, there was a sheen to his coat. And he really looked blue. Like, um, like you know, kind of silver blue. But, but not silver, very blue. And he was so fascinating. I think they, they captured him in, in Juno and as they do all the time. And they would have just repatriated him to some forest 10 miles away, except he was blue. And so, <laughs> so they couldn't, you Well, know? they can't. He'll be bullied. And that's right. It's, so they, it's like the, the, the loon with the broken leg. You can't just release that. So they did him a huge favor, which was put him in a 20 by 20 cage in the Anchorage Zoo. And threw popcorn at him for 30 years. <laughs> and every resident of Anchorage went by and looked at him. It was, he was a beautiful bear. Was it, like a, was it a sad cement thing? Or did you feel like at least he has a nice little home? You know, the Anchorage Zoo, at least when I was growing up, was really felt like one of those ad hoc zoos where <laughs> there was a guy that had a there was a guy that that won a llama at the state fair and he built a fence around it. <laughs> and then he had he bought like a like a like a merry go round off the back of a truck and then but it but it honestly we had a, an elephant there. <laughs> and 
One of Alaska's few elephants. It was, and it was an elephant that did that did watercolors, like a like a full on elephant. One of the great elephants, you know, and top then, ten elephants. But it was really easy to fill it to fill the zoo with bears, moose, wolverines, um, because you could just kind of walk across the street and shake a tree, and a wolverine would fall out of it. So it, it was an interesting zoo. That's the one with uh, with Binky the bear that some kid went over the fence and Binky grabbed him and shook him by the peanuts, and then um, like he. His uh, his bag of peanuts, or is that a euphemism? He, he shook him by his euphemism, <laughs> and um, and then the kid lost a shoe or something, and Binky walked around in the in his enclosure with this high top tennis shoe in his mouth for a couple of weeks, and they couldn't get it away from him. That's a power and move. It was a super bad look for the zoo because everybody you know everybody knew that this this kid got. And kind the, of mauled. And the kid's still there. The bear's just slowly eating him yeah, over a course of weeks. Yeah, The kid's skeleton is there. The kid's the still there. <laughs> Everyone loves to see Binky and and uh, and uh, Steve's skeleton. Oh, yeah, no, Binky, Binky kept feeding the kid for a while. Broke both his legs. <laughs> while we were in Glacier, uh, there was, you know, it felt a little bit crowded because everyone's kind of crammed into one corner of the park and you had to kind of, you had to make some effort to stay away from crowds, oh, which we seems, did. That seems like a good place to go in quarantine. It wasn't ever crowded, crowded. It was just more than a usual summer, even though there were like fewer people than in right, the usual right, summer. Because right. um, you couldn't turn around. Yeah. We, uh, but uh, so you, we kept seeing the same cars in the parking lot, you know, just some some car that said RV for sale. And here's a phone number, even though there's no RV. So, you know, you get to know these people. Did and you call the number? I didn't. Should, you get, should, should I announce it on the show? You get to know these people. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, we all just got to know each other. And Haven't you ever been on the tourist trail somewhere and like seen the same people at, uh, you know, the people you see at the Louvre, you also see at lunch or, uh, no, that's never happened to you? Uh, you know, I, I. It for, happens at Disneyland. You're always in the same line with the same annoying kids. For whatever like, reason, line. like early on in my life, I resolved never to be a tourist. And it's it's a it's a kind of a problem, like a mentality problem of a certain kind of person. Like, I'm not going to be a tourist. And so in order to not be a tourist, you you routinely have to make a choice between do I see the cool thing and risk being a tourist? Or instead, do I go like stand behind a dumpster and have lunch covered in rats and pigeons in order to continue to enforce this kind of anti-tourism, uh, like like sort of hair shirt. My, and, my my brother has that. Yeah, the self the self conception of himself as a tourist is too much to bear, even if it means not seeing the yeah. Eiffel Tower. And so I've I over the over the last thirty years I've made so many decisions to where in order to avoid being a tourist. I did not. I've never been to Glacier. I've never been to Yellowstone, um, be, because I was just that's, like that's, that's wilderness, John. Those are mountains. I don't want to go to Yellowstone that, with that, a bunch of what is Yogi Bear in there with the with his you know like like I don't want to I don't want to sleep next to a trash can, and so I've never been, and and it's dumb, right? Like like uh, it's, it's a, pretty good. Those places are uh, popular for a reason. It's not just like wall drug. Or something. Well, like, the, the only time I've ever been to the Louvre, I actually was, um, I was dressed all in black and I roped in after hours. <laughs> uh, you come in upside, you've only seen the Mona Lisa upside down. That's right. I thought she was frowning. I was there, I was just there to steal diamonds, but I did take a look at some of the other paintings. <laughs> that was good to make the time. Among the cars we kept seeing over, you know, you only see the memorable ones. You only remember the guy with the dented bumper or whatever. Sure. We kept seeing this kind of, 
pearly whitish um, Cadillac crossover. And cross, you mean like SUV? Yeah, like a like a you know, you know what a crossover is like some weird hybrid between a uh, the boysenberry of station wagons oh, and SUVs. Oh, some of the Escalade, but it's got a pickup truck in the rear. It does not. It's like party in the front, business in the back. It looks like a, a station wagon with a pituitary problem or a uh, SUV owned by somebody with a small garage. I see. I see. Okay. 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 It's it's like this middle. It's like the most popular car segment in America right now. Sure, I think, a right SUV. Yeah, we call yeah. them we call them souvs. <laughs> you haven't been to the Louvre, and you never bought a souv. Souvre. I've been thinking about buying a souvre lately, but 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 don't let me interrupt your story. I think we are also switching to crossover because we're, we're aging out of many events. And so this this car is this weird uh, kind of whitish color where it looks different in different oh, yeah. light. Maybe pearlescent. Like, maybe like your bear. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's pearlescent. Uh, you you've seen the cars that do the thing where it's like some Batmobile color where it looks purple from one side and then you walk by and it's slightly green like it's a oh that's a super hot soap paint bubble. job that that's a that's a that's a deluxe double-sided paint job they do it by putting some kind of metallic flakes in the paint and it has more layers than any normal car paint job yeah um i think it's 50 50 layer candy flake i think it's ugly as, but it's it's fun for a second or it's fun to walk by you sure. know for the owner it must be annoying they, they've taken one for the team like, <laughs> not sure what team, uh, team not, walk, nobody team asked them to take walk it. Walk by my car once <laughs> and you'll be delighted. And the kids were like, what is this color? Cause it kind of looks whitish and then it looks kind of rosy from the other side. And we saw under the, um, under the little Cadillac shield, silver Cadillac shield on the side at the base of the, uh, driver and passenger side door, it said Mary Kay. Oh, and so Mary Kay. I was able to explain. Did, were you able to explain? Uh, I well, in general terms, yeah. I was able to say if you sell a lot of makeup to your neighbors, or more accurately, make your neighbors sell a lot of makeup to their neighbors, and so on, e- exponential fashion, uh, you get one of these. But I didn't actually know that much about it. Now, growing up, uh, and I'm never clear of the timeline, but you moved to Korea at what age? Like seven. At seven, and 80s. you stayed there until high school. Yeah. And so, did you have Mary Kay Cadillacs in Korea? No, no. There are Mary Kay is an international company now right. uh, in areas where it's allowed. But no, this is something I would have kind of abs- like almost everything else about American culture, just kind of absorbed through sidelong sitcom yeah, references yeah, right. and mystery science theater riffs. But someone my age, you like, actually would have seen these the, bubblegum pink. The Mary Kay cars were. Um, and this was even in the 70s when cars had unusual colors, avocado and whatever, mustard. Uh, those weren't even unusual at the time. Those were, yeah. At the right. time, blue was weird because you had to get avocado or mustard. Right. Avocado or mustard is how they came off the off the assembly line, and then you could paint them blue with house paint. If One you day, Henry Ford III was eating an avocado and mustard sandwich. Although you could get a Ford Torino in sky blue for a, for a period in the 70s, but it was sky blue. It wasn't any kind of blue you would want. Like... Like really a, kind of blue. a powder blue. But these pink cars, I mean, the only people that had pink cars were Elvis and Liberace. And yet every town had, there was generally, depending on what part of town you lived in, there was a Mary Kay car that was like your Mary Kay car. Because you would, there'd only you be saw one it. in town. Right. You saw it all the time. But if you went over to the other side of town, you might see a different Mary Kay car that 
was like a shocking, shocking surprise. And it's almost like the Wienermobile, you yeah. know, like as late as the nineties there, they had, they had only, they had only given out 7,000 of these really? pay jobs. Yeah. Wow. So it really was like seeing the Goodyear blimp, except on a more accessible local level. But they weren't like a, like a subtle pearlescent. No, at they? the time they were Pepto-Bismol pink. Pink. So, so pink. That yeah. was... That was the brand. Yeah, you were was, su- you were supposed to notice. They were killer. Um, I think they realized at some point that nobody wants that color, and new car technologies have allowed for a. And I didn't know until I saw this one in the Glacier parking lot, and then again in Whitefish, and then again, it, it, it's it's a much classier look. Yeah, al- although my sense was, at least from the one woman that drove a Mary Kay car in my part of Anchorage, was that it was the kind of. If you were a Mary Kay salesperson, your aesthetic was... You wanted that color? Well, because she always... She seemed like a lady that had like a lot of diamonds on her fingers and like uh, yes. had her hair done all the time. You she mentioned just, Liberace. She was a friend of Liberace. Yeah, she was a fancy lady and, and the pink car was... Not no. just a fancy lady, a fancy Texas lady. A which, fancy with, Texas with lady. With all the aesthetic that implies. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, Mary Kay Ash was a Houston native. She uh, had three kids with her first husband, who then went away to World War II. And as soon as he, she, she, you know, she raised three kids during the war. And as soon as he got home, he told her he was leaving her. He was a he'd fallen in love with a medic. <laughs> I assume there was another woman. He was because he's a musician, and that's oh, what they do. Oh dear, I don't know where 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 should I start, John? Saxophonist, probably he, even worse. Huh? Ukulele. Come on. He played with a band called the Hawaiian Strummers. Oh, and sure. We that have was to, fashion at the yeah, time. Yeah, think of a time when ukuleles are not being played by cute, cute indie girls and their boyfriends. Right. But instead by... Uh, by guys in uh, Aloha shirts exactly. with their hair slicked back. And, yeah, so he, he and his group, the ukulele Strummers, were uh, one of Texas's premier Hawaiian right. music. Right. Uh, did I say the ukulele Strummers? The Hawaiian Strummers, I think is what they were called. So he divorced her, leaving her with three kids and... No good living in the post-war area. My era. goodness, this story starts off with a tragedy. It's gonna, it's really gonna pull out in, into a different tragedy. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> she, uh, at the, so as, as a single woman in the 1940s, she didn't have that many options for putting food on the table, but there was direct sales. Uh, as early as the 1920s or so in America, companies had started this idea that uh, you know startup costs for a business are tough, but we send you the stuff, you sell it to your friends, you go door to door, and you keep half the proceeds. And this was the model that uh, was very appealing to a to a 1940s housewife without a lot of capital to open up a dry cleaning store. Or it's whatever. appealing to me even now. If you thought, what, what would you like to sell to your neighbors, John? You're wearing uh, you're wearing by the way a very bright pink shirt. Thank you for uh, theming this. Yeah, uh, bubblegum pink. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to sell to my neighbors is that, uh, well, it's a line of BS is what I'm trying to sell. That they should just bring over money. You you basically have a neighborhood Patreon. Well, no, I'm selling it to my neighbors on the internet every day. It's just a, (laughs) just just a straight line of BS that I'm hoping they buy. And it seems like they do. But you don't have any product for them. Oh, product, product. This is something I'm always trying to figure out a way to actually make a thing that people would want to buy. And I've never really come up with Anything better than a t-shirt design or an album, and an album isn't a, it's not primarily a thing I want people to buy. An what, if you left Bar- what if you left Barsook and just wandered around your neighborhood selling copies of your records, like a, like a mixtape guy in the U district? Uh, you know, you know, honestly, what it is, is I'm not a salesman and to be a salesman is to be a type of person. 
Right. It's to be a to sell is is a gift and also a pathology. I was about to say it's a kind of person that nobody likes, but in fact, that's not true. It's by, the opposite. By definition, these must be people that the everybody most charming, likable guys on the train. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Who have just taken their natural gift and perverted it into um, a way of of like earning money. Not perverted, but I don't know. My relationship to sales is complicated. Like I think most Americans, uh, because we've all been. Um, I don't like to be sold things. Right. We've all been confronted with a, an aggressive salesperson. And I don't like to sell things. I, as, as a kind of a plain, humble, Protestant American type, Yeah, I dislike the idea. Even when we have to say, hey, we have a Patreon if you like the show, I feel like it's immodest somehow. I'm uncomfortable with it too. And yet there are people around the world who are selling things. And also there are a lot of uh, I think a lot of things in our lives that we have to be grateful that someone ha- that someone was selling it, sure. right? I mean, that's the mentality of a salesperson is that they're here to do you a favor. The problem is you don't know. You don't know if you got good advice because the salesman is not a disinterested party. Right. Like maybe in my house, I have the right dishwasher because some salesman actually did a sincere hard sell. When and maybe I have the wrong car because some salesman just wanted a bigger commission. When you're online and you're trying to decide which angle grinder to buy, for instance, how do you determine in in trying to find reviews, in trying to find uh, uh, some way to filter, how do you determine which ones are un, unbiased and which ones are Product placement or pay, paid placements. I feel like I have no idea. Do you spend time doing? I it do, though? and I'll look at reviews, and I'll be, I'll be like, well, because it's all going to be something from China, you know? Yeah. Like imagine, just imagine going on some e-tail side and being like, you know what? I need more face masks, or I need more whatever. Like, what's the thing here that doesn't suck? And it's it, sometimes it's suspicious. Brand new thing. Five five star reviews that are all kind of minimal, right? And all written in the same syntax. Is this just well, seems astroturfy. You know, I always, I always trusted Consumer Reports. Oh, bad boy! But this, this show is mostly about Consumer Reports. <laughs> yeah, I know because we, we are that's who we are. But uh, lately, I've found that I, I there's something suspect about the way Consumer Reports, <gasps> at least on their app. What I just don't kind of like the way their app is designed. But also, I don't know, man. They're talking Do you think about they sold out. No, but I just feel like they're like us, right? They're everybody at Consumer Reports grew up within a Consumer Reports universe, and it's become it feels like like AAA almost that it's become a cult in and of itself. It's kind of a monopoly. They have they have a little too much power. Yeah, and you just don't get the feeling that it's not that they're it's not that they've sold out, but the, but it feels like it has internal biases. Right, the, I remember when it was about the reports. It was about, you know what it was about? It was about that back page called Selling It, <laughs> yeah. where they where they exposed like weird ads, weird weird uh, weird sales techniques. I uh, there was some TV show like that where I was a kid. This consumer advocate figure you may remember from the early '80s named David Horowitz, who, oh, yeah. who would show up on morning shows and be like. He'd be like the ombuds, America's ombudsman who'd be like, right. don't believe this scammy ad for whatever. You don't actually need to buy six cans of Progresso. You'll get the same price if you just buy one. I'm on your side. Yeah, he, there are he, too many insect parts in these pastas. <laughs> he actually had a short live TV show where he would he would get the audience to yell, fight back. 
<laughs> at his at his uh, pro consumer crusades. Oh, fight back! Uh, I really liked that. That's how you can tell I was a little Occupy Wall Street kid in training. Oh, if if we could only return to a time when the thing we were cons- concerned most about was that progresso was was trying to convince us <laughs> to that, buy too many flats yeah, that, that it was a that it was a good sale when it was really just standard price uh it, in the, so in this direct sales universe uh mary Kay kind of did what you would imagine that being in the in the 40s she was selling bo- a series of books door to door you know like child rearing books like you know the first two volumes are free you know kind of this kind of thing and this smacks of kind of a uh, like a like a tragic desperation move right like a single mom ringing doorbells out there's just in the- not a lot of so this will keep coming up again in the story not a lot of opportunities for moms who have kids to raise right. because you can't even even assuming a plethora of nine to five jobs that would take women in 1948 or whatever you've got kids at home you but know imagine the kind of plucky optimism she would have to screw onto her face oh, ring the doorbell the door opens it's a it's a a fellow mom probably opening the door. Imagine her checking her lipstick at her compact before yeah. each door. You, you, and, can, you can do this, Mary Kay. You can do this. And that fellow mom is going to look at her and go, oh, look at you. It's so too bad that you have to work and you have to screw on enough confidence that you're not going to get, you're not going to be like destroyed by that condescension. The, 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 the destroyed door by the door. Destroyed by the bless your heart. Yeah. How many bless, bless your, your heart? hearts can you take a day? And yeah, and you're trying to sell this book, but you don't, you know, and, and you don't want to, you don't want to have a pity sale, there but you're not going to turn down a pity sale. There would have been more of a culture of uh, women at home delighted to see another woman at home. Right. So, you know, a, a charming person could get by on that. Yeah. You know, we don't have that today. Like, Ooh, the doorbell, maybe somebody will show me how a vacuum works, you know, but back then, you know, what a delight to have someone to talk to for a minute. But there was a tremendous, I think, a tremendous social cost borne by any woman that had to work. Sure, yeah, right, one hundred percent. So, so trying to trying to put that face on, where it's like, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing it because I love this book on child rearing. I mean, you really, <laughs> she must have been quite a salesperson. There were, I guess, it's after the war, so there are more independent women who have actually tasted, right? You know the you know, the initiative and empl- whatever they had employment they had during the war um, and w- would have wanted a side gig. So she also, you know, it was probably not uncommon. Then there was a company called Stanley Home Products that was one of these, you know, you demonstrate the the cheese grater in your house and hopefully some of your friends will buy some at, at a little party you throw. Right. Which is not a party. It's a captive audience for your sales pitch. But, Tupperware being the being the most famous version. Yeah, Tupperware that. kind of invented that, I think. It was a, it was a struggling company that survived on the strength of one female employee saying, what if we did the sales in homes? Are we going to save Tupperware for a separate omnibus? I think so. We're not going to burn it up right here, are we? Well, forget what I just said about Tupperware. Future, (laughs) I know the Tupperware survived and Summit probably still has enchiladas in it. Probably some of you are living in Tupperware. (laughs) Do you think they're still finding like our old, um, our old spinach lasagna and Tupperware and living off of that in, in the dystopian future. I bet that I bet that some of the futurelings are sentient spinach lasagnas that <laughs> uh, that that sat in that kind of vacuum and and that aerobic atmosphere produced that's right complex Produ- life produced intelligence. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't burp when you open it, do not eat that lasagna, especially if you are lasagna. Uh, while she was doing one of these demonstrations, she met a woman named, and I swear this is real, Ova Heath Spoonmore. Sure. Ova Spoonmore. Ova Spoonmore. Ova Spoonmore sounds 
patently like a fake tombstone name, you know, like a, ba- a bad pun or a, a, on the spine of a fake book. Ova Spoonmore. Like, um, like, uh, how to please your husband by by uh-huh. I'm a kisser or you know you know these fake sure 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 where it's like not even a real a plausible first name future of breakfast cereal by Ova Spoonmore <laughs> exactly <laughs> but Ova Heath Spoonmore was an actual woman whose father had been a tanner and yeah. who noticed one day and that's his, what Spoonmore means Spoonmore it's a it's a, all the Spoonmores were tanners they were tanners all the right. way back to to yeah. Jamestown uh, he had noticed that uh, his hands. <laughs> This, is, this metal picture is cracking me up. His hands, he still had youthful, youthful, smooth uh, uh, baby hands. From using lye to tan hides? From his tanning stuff, even though his face was was, <laughs> was gnarled and wrinkled. So imagine this man with his weird baby hands thinking, Sure. What he, have I, my God, what have I done? It just burned the calluses off day in, day out, keeping his hands soaking in the vats. So he and his daughter came up with formulas, skincare formulas, based on whatever his awful tanning solutions were. Interesting. And Have you ever been to a tannery? I have not. It's maybe the worst smell outside of an <laughs> abattoir. It's, I bet it's a similar smell. It's really a very similar smell. They yeah. get the outside, the abattoir gets the inside, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. But, the, but the tanners like let it sit and... You, ha- mean, you have to, right? Yeah, they're not, they're not turning the insides into delicious hamburger. They're, they're like scraping the insides off the outsides. It's pretty. It's pretty bad. Let's you, not go into it. Do you think the tanners in uh, in Full House also smelled bad? The Tanner family were they all tanners? You know. You know. Do you think John Stamos was a tanner and a rock star on that show? This is the uh, this is the generation gap between you and me because I couldn't tell you two things about Full House. I know John Stamos was the drummer of the Beach Boys. Yes, but other than that, I don't know anything about him, and I, I never Co- saw that. He's television in the Kokomo show. video. Did that have? Did Full House have an adorable set of twin girls, yes. little girls? Okay, so I know that. Wait, that's not Mary Kate and it Ashley. Is. I'm looking. I'm watching you discover Whoa. discover borderline millennial culture. Do you know that I met Mary Kate and Ashley? Do you know which one? You they were they were together. You met them both. I met them both in the lobby of the Chateau Marmont. And they were sitting, by this point, they were like full on, like eyeshadow wearing millennial cigarette smokers. And we were all kind of sitting around in the lobby, you know, in the, on those big cushy uh, sofas, just having drinks and smoking cigarettes back when you could smoke cigarettes. And uh, yeah, just had an encounter with them. They're very nice. Oh, that's nice. That was, yeah. I, I wanted that to be the takeaway. Yeah, no, no, I liked them a lot. The uh, they don't keep up with you though they don't. I, we no, didn't. No Christmas card. We didn't exchange numbers at the end. No. Uh, so in 1963, Mary Kay Ash, not Mary Kate Olson, but Mary Kay Ash, buys the the uh, tannery, the the lye and hog fat formula or whatever it is uh-huh. from the Spoonmore family, and because uh, she thinks it's you know could be a beauty line. And this was a chance encounter she had with the Spoonmores. Yeah, I think I think it was. Uh, it was one of these uh, homewares parties, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, she was. It was. A, it was a sales thing. She was working for Stanley Home Products at the time, but she had been passed over for promotion Ugh. by a less qualified man. See, I'm sure that kind of. Thing I wish never I happened. had the confidence of a of a less confident of a mediocre <laughs> Dallas white man in 1963. <laughs> Actually, that is quite probably a lot of confidence. A lot of confidence. Even a, a even a, a guy who didn't have confidence would have had to have been projecting confidence. And I feel like you don't even have to say mediocre there because it's implied in white Dallas man of, of 1963, yeah. except for Lee Harvey Oswald. 
Right, who of, really of all, excelled. Of all the white Dallas men of 1963, you know who really you know who really made things happen? You know, Lyndon, <laughs> Lyndon Johnson was, was, was peaking right about then, but he wasn't from Dallas. He was from out in the hill country. Yes. Uh, he, uh, I was just reading this morning about how LBJ, this is, Unrelated? Unrelated. Speaking, How weird. Speaking of yodeling. That this show would have an unrelated digression. We'll, we'll cut this out because people, huh. people hate uh, when we talk about anything except yeah, for Mary Kay Pink yeah, Just get straight to the story is what they want. Uh, that he, was, he would complain about the temperature so much on Air Force One that they finally just installed a knob and said, sir, now you can control the heat. And it was... It was An idiot knob? Yeah, it was attached to nothing. <laughs> like, like the slider that we have at the studio for the, for the uh, guy from the label? That's what you tell the label guy? <laughs> yeah. I thought that's what you told the musicians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been, in the stu- I've been in that studio, too. Here's your, here's your guitar. Just you turn it up when you, when, you, when you want it louder. So after being passed over by Stanley Home Products, boo, she goes out on her own with this... Uh, with, with a new formula, something that's she's not just selling, she's producing. Now. Yes, and uh, it's uh, the, the Spoonmore hog fat, whatever it is, that keeps your hands weirdly young. And by the following year, she has kind of her first annual seminar for her, for her little sales force of 200 people. They, hmm. She hangs balloons and crepe paper in a warehouse. So this was an immediate success if she had 200 people. I think there's a big... the first year. As, as today in many places, there's a big audience of sellers, particularly women, that want a flexible schedule, but they still want to do something outside the home that allows them to be there when the kids get home from school. And they want smooth hands. <laughs> or they know people Hopefully who Hopefully their neighbors want smooth hands. We all want smooth hands. How much does smoothness affect your decision-making viz hands? <laughs> like, like as far as who I trust? Well, or your own hands. Oh, um, I'm, I, I don't really have any kind of skin regimen. Yeah. Isn't I that mean, awful? At some point I should. I feel like my hands are smooth and I wish they were rougher. That would convey... That, I, uh, that I'm that i better at sword fighting. <laughs> you have podcaster's hands, John. I do. You need to... I do. You, they, all they've been is on the idiot slider. My left hand has a has calluses on the fingertips from playing guitar. I don't even want to... Oh, okay, guitar. Thank goodness. That, that was, I was worried about that sentence for a second. So in 1964, uh, at this first seminar... Mary Kay is running the whole operation herself. She bones the chicken. She, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, oh. uh, the article, the obituary I read for her says she, she made the jello dress, the jalapeno dressing and jello salad herself. And hopefully that's not one dish. Hopefully the jalapeno mm-hmm. dressing is for the bone chicken. Jalapeno dressing in, in 1960. It's Texas. Wow. Pretty exciting though. I guess, I she's guess. A, she's a spicy, fun lady. If you put enough ma- mayonnaise in it. She's got moxie. That's what yeah. we, that's what we understand. She's, she's a peppery, she's a feisty a feisty Texas mom. Sure, I get it now. Uh, but I'm just hoping that there's there's no Oxford comma, so I don't Yeehaw. know. If, I don't know if jalapeno dressing and jello salad is the side that she made, and that's not impossible. Also in 1963, I love that in her obituary it it has a line about the food that she served at her coming out party. Well, you know how obituaries work. That is the before picture, right? Because that would go on. You know, by 1965, her company had Mary Kay had a million dollars in sales, and by 1992, it's on the Fortune 500. Uh, she at this point she's living in a five million dollar thirty room pink Dallas mansion. She loved pink. She was always dressed in in bright bubblegum pink. Uh, you know the mansion has twenty eight foot ceilings, crystal chandeliers, and specifically it has one bathroom modeled off exactly an exact replica of one that her friend Liberace has. She's actually his, friends with Liberace. Is, she's, by this time, friends with Liberace. I assume because of their shared aesthetic. 
Now, there, this this um, suggests so many questions, and my first question, and it's a question I have about all of the the sort of successful mass marketed or buzz marketed products, which is is the success tied to the quality of the product? Is her stuff is that hand cream actually innovative and unprecedented? such that the success is somehow like she invented a better mousetrap? That's an interesting question, specifically with Mary Kay Ash, because the company was, throughout her life, very much a personality cult. And I think that's why it thrived. I mean, to this day, it's one of the top 10 direct sales companies in America. Even now? Yeah, it's, it's top five. I think it's six today. It's, it's, you know, it's still behind who you'd expect, Amway and Avon and Herbalife. And me, a couple other weird names that sound like failed car models that you've never heard of because you don't live in Provo, Utah. But it's still one of the best, it's still one of the biggest, most successful direct sales companies in America. And it's largely on the strength of her brand, not the not the smooth spoon more hands. Yeah. But the feisty mom <clears throat> who tells you that I'm gonna I want to give a generation of women all the opportunities I didn't have. Uh, and specifically, this being Texas, mixed in with religion. Uh, she would oh. say, you know, God does not want you slaving away 14 hours a day just to put mac and cheese on the table for your kids. He wants you to have something better. It's kind of an upwardly mobile sure, version of the, of the American prosperity gospel. Exactly. So generally, when we talk about something on the program, through the mysteries of time travel, which we which we don't like to discuss directly. We don't fully understand them ourselves. Uh, we hear from futurelings who, I mean, anytime we mention even the smallest town in America, someone will reply within hours well, saying that's where they're from. And, and here's some photos of the thing you just mentioned. Yeah. It's a problem with podcasting is that we're going to spend an hour and 10 minutes talking about a thing we have no firsthand experience with, and then we will receive a dozen letters from people with actual first-hand experience, and we will roll our eyes and hit delete. I tried this the other day on uh, on my podcast, Roadwork, where I said at the top of the episode, I don't know how many listeners I have in Istanbul, but to my Istanbul listeners, something, something, something. I don't know what I was talking about. But I got a tweet today from a guy that was like, listening to your show from my from my house here in Istanbul. And he was a Turkish guy. You know, he's not an expatriate. He's just some... Some fan in in Turkey. So what I would like is for I don't I don't want to hear from future links. That's not to say I don't, but I'm not asking for you to tell me that your mom uses Mary Kay products. I want to hear only from futurelings who themselves use Mary this Kay. This is the products. consumer report side of you. You want testimonials. I do. You want ratings on a scale of Red nipple to black half circle. And in particular, if you sell Mary Kay products, I want you to be explicit about that. But I really want to hear people who don't sell the products, but just use the products, what you feel is the advantage of Mary Kay. The, um, so, yeah, so let's assume they're just... And I, we'll, I, add, we'll add your comments to our addenda episode. That's right. We want to know. Because uh, because everyone wants to know. In fact, send us some. We'll try them out. Oh, there you go. I'll put some on my hands, but not my face, and see if I turn into a, a creepily doll-handed tanner. <laughs> Ken and I both have creepy doll hands already, so <laughs> I don't know where we'll put them, on the soles of our feet. Uh, but I, 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 what I'm assuming is it's a company that sells perfectly serviceable cosmetics, right. uh, but through the, the kind of the, the business savvy and force of personality of its founder and brand, it does very well. And the Cadillacs are a big part of that. Like the reason why I mentioned that first annual seminar is because that has become a yearly 
Vegas scale extravaganza in Dallas, oh, where, where all like, the sales comes, all the sales force comes in and gets, you know, pays big money to get an annual seminar from, you know, while she was still alive, Mary Kay herself, straight from her crystal chandelier bathroom. I mean, that's why we can't tax the rich, right? By the way, absolutely not. How how, are, how will they afford Liberace's chandelier in their bathroom? They would, they won't even be able to see. So this is like a this is the first stole uh, universe of. Like wealthy, um, flash, like wealthy mid-century flash. Yeah, and it's targeting people who don't have that, for whom it's very aspirational. Right. And this is the difficulty of the direct selling. I mean, the the ethical and the professional difficulty of the direct sales uh, sector. Because it's kind of it, it like like the lottery. It's a it's like a a tax on the people who can least afford it. It really is. I mean, when you look at the numbers, of, I mean, the, the industry likes to call it direct sales or affiliate marketing because to them, what distinguishes it is that you don't have a store. You're not waiting for someone to walk in the door. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Right. Hey, what you're actually doing is approaching friends. There's tr- no overhead. Trusted people you know that you can say, hey, this is good mascara, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just that there's no, it's not just that there's low overhead. It's it, To them, the secret sauce is the, the trust and the relationships. Right. I in see. fact, what it's often called outside the industry is multi-level marketing and, and other less kind things right. like pyramid scheme. Because what happens at Mary Kay and other direct sales companies is most of your income does not come from the mascara you sell. It's because you get a cut of what your unit sells. Right. So you're not <clears throat> you're not just trying to sell it. You're trying to sell the idea of it to. If you get somebody else to pay, to pay the $100 to get the Mary Kay starter kit, then you get 4% of whatever they sell. And if your unit becomes bigger, you get 9% and even 13% of what they sell. Now, how many people do you think lucked out and recruited like one of the great salespeople of all time, and then they didn't have to do anything, they had somebody down the pyramid from them that was really hustling. I mean, there's a reason why it's called a pyramid. The group at the bottom is so much bigger. Like the of the of the millions and millions, hundred million dollars or whatever that Mary Kay, I don't have a number, but you know, of the hundreds of millions of dollars that Mary Kay brags that it grosses every year, um, it's really concentrated in a small group of people. And that's true of the multi-level marketing industry as a whole. You know, depending on the I think Mary Kay says it's average salesperson sells one thousand makes one thousand and fifty seven dollars a year, hmm. and their annual turnover is somewhere between sixty eight and eighty five percent of salespeople. Yeah, so most people do not stick it out. You so, need you need to it's a pyramid scheme. You need to constantly be finding new marks. So if they earn one thousand dollars, how much did they have to buy in in order to? I mean, how much money did it end up costing them? Well, see, okay, that's another tricky thing. Uh, multi-level marketing is legal in the United States as a result of a 1979 FTC decision in Ray Amway. Oh, in Ray Amway. In which the government actually considered should companies be allowed to, to, che, run, to company run this Company K, eBay. <laughs> I mean, Amway is... Uh, Amway has such a bad name that it recently, not recently, but 10 years or so ago, 15 years ago, it briefly changed its name to Quickstar in hope that that would fool people into being able to tell their friends. Uh, yeah. Because the number one thing you hear- that, that happened to Est, too. <laughs> what is Est called now? <laughs> Est is called- It's also the, called Quickstar. The system or something. It, it changed its name. Weirdly, Est is called Amway, <laughs> which was super, and, was super ill-advised. We, yeah, weirdly, Quickstar now is my internet service provider. 
Quickstar does sound exactly like a cable company. I think yeah. that's what they wanted. Uh, and the idea was because when you tell your friends, hey, you know, I've got this cool new thing to tell you about. A generation knew that the number one thing you ask is, is this Amway? Right. And watch the person's kind of pupils go sideways. <laughs> because it's the worst to be friends with someone who... Is an Amway salesperson. It's, so in, because even that became a punchline in, in stand-up comedy, right? Like Amway salesman was a... It's not what you do if you can do anything else. Right. Let's put it that way. The, the person I knew, the last person I knew who was trying to tell me all about his amazing quick start opportunity was a guy who drove a school bus three hours a day, but could not make ends meet on it and did not know what to do with the rest of his day, which is sad. I, when you look at the studies on multi-level marketing, the, the Amway numbers are not unusual. At least half of the people drop out after the first year and 90 per, only 10% make it past five years. It's, it's a career for a tiny number of people. In the, in the best case studies, um, you're going to average about $2,500 annual income. And that might sound good until you realize the time commitment of constantly annoying your friends. It's, yeah, right. It works out to about a buck 50 an hour. It's not minimum wage. And, 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 and according to the worst case studies, actually 99% of people that try an MLM lose money. Right. Um, but the people that are succeeding, is it because they are selling? No. Or it's because they've sold? They, they are never selling. I see. They are building up what you call a downline. All the emphasis in the uh, materials is about how the real money is in building up your downline. And I, I can speak pretty authoritatively on this because I used to live in Utah, right. which is ground zero for all of America's biggest uh, multi-level marketing companies. And why is that? Is, is so part of Deseret it, Industries involved somehow? Deseret Industries is just Mormon Goodwill. It's, oh. a, it's a thrift shop and it gives job oh, experience. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's exactly Goodwill. But this is all unaffiliated with the Mormon church, but it is not unaffiliated with Mormon culture. Uh-huh. I guess I, to say that more correctly, it is unaffiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right. but it is very bound up in Mormon culture. It's, in, in Jello salad and pink Cadillacs. The companies themselves like to all these Utah-based companies, uh, uh, New Skin and and uh, whatever, Whoa. so forth. Is that is that some kind of like, uh, is that some sort of like robot slave company? It, New Skin New sounds skin. definitely like a, a Soylent type <laughs> Product from a dystopian future Blade Runner movie, right? Yeah, it does. The new models come with, and it's spelled N-U, so it looks even more like a like a Blade Runner thing. <laughs> uh, all they they will tell you it's really because uh, you know Mormon missionary culture means that we've got a built-in skilled sales force here. Oh, of course, and you're used to having people ring the doorbell. In fact, I think that it could not be less relevant. <laughs> I don't like. I'm I, I, there's no guarantee that serving a two-year mission actually makes somebody a good salesman for a tricky product. And it certainly may not apply to, uh, to, to Tahitian berry shampoo. This is a question that's never occurred to me, but, uh, if you live in Utah, do, do Mormon missionaries come to the door and ring the doorbell? <laughs> or is it the one state in the nation where one place in the world where you're safe from? It's it? like, can you tickle yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, in fact, Utahns are not safe. Uh, Have you heard the good news? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. There's one There's one brick building on that block with a basketball court, and one on the next block, and two on the next block. Uh, there are plenty of Latter-day Saint missionaries in Utah, and it's because success in that field, it's, a, it's affiliate marketing, basically. Uh-huh. Success does not come from cold calling on a doorbell and being like, hey, would you like to change religions? Actually, yes, come in. Right. It's all going to be people who have a friend who they've, you know, their kids attend church together. You know, yeah, we were talking about that at the sleepover. We went on the scout camp trip, you know. It's going to be people whose friends are, have already been warmed up a bit. So, yes, there is a booming missionary (laughs) industry. 
in Utah, and a, and, it, and a growing immigrant Latino population oh, that, that might be interested in, in assimilating to the to the friendly local community religion. Uh, it's I, not just kids that couldn't get visas. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's any of that. Uh, You've got to go on a mission, but you can't leave the United States. So, well, there's definitely some of that. Like, like the, now the church needs to know in the Trump era, the church needs to know people's immigration status. Oh, because yeah. you know they'd love to send this um, this bright Latino kid to to preach the good word in El Salvador, but what if ICE doesn't let him back in? Right. You know. So, the real reasons I think have more to do with you know partly the prosperity gospel thing you mentioned, kind of yeah. the self conception that. I'm a good person. I'm doing everything right. Like, uh, clearly God will give me an, uh, an income stream. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, what What does God love more than private property? <laughs> and how does he show his love other than rewarding you with private property? What does God love more than showing Cutco knives to the ladies from church? Uh, the, and I think really the fun, the foundational reason is just demographic. 46% of, of um, women in their 30s and 40s in Utah County, Utah, do not work outside the home. I see. Which is not true of many ratio. other parts of the East States. Yeah, it's that's crazy. Like only in that in Utah County, six to eight percent of men that age don't have a don't currently have a day job. So you have all these moms who are going bananas at home. All the soaps have been canceled. Right. All the good game shows are gone except for Price is Right. They're putting all those bananas into jello salads. <laughs> there's there's jello to set, but then there's hours free. <laughs> Uh, you know the, the the American post-war efficiency boom meant that you no longer need right somebody eight hours a day to do the chores. You, you can know? only clean your house so much. And uh, but there's a lot of barriers to entry to full-time work. There's certainly social barriers. There right. might still be, you know, you know Barbara's kids are still at home, and yet she's she's working at her at her real estate agent's office. Well, some somewhere along the line, and it must have been Mary Kay. Uh, that uh, somewhere along the line in the United States, this kind of multi-level marketing became an acceptable form of work for a housewife. At when, when it probably when it started was considered very déclassé or very scandalous that that a woman would be going door to door. But then it became a kind of social. I, I assume it's like a virus. Event. I assume it's like a virus, and then it becomes endemic. Right. Uh, yeah, and you're right. Like putting a social face on it is is clever. You know, Having your friends over for a pampered chef party and showing them how good the garlic press is. Right. Um, the I think the the branding, you know, putting the the pink Cadillac face on it was very smart. I think Mary Kay was instrumental in that. Um, yeah, in Utah, there's no. I mean, there is st- everyone knows it's an annoyance. Yeah. But the the basis for the stigma is not um, well. She should be a better mom. It's more like. She should leave me alone, or or more like she keeps bugging me about her essential oils. I wonder how many people, uh, in the in places where multi level marketing is common, how many people are known in the community as someone who will come to your Tupperware party, eat, and leave. They're never going to buy, but they but they take advantage of the of the opportunity, the the free sample. I'll tell you what, you know who the salespeople are because they will work their church community as if it were a client list. Right. And no, nobody really likes that. Like we, we moved into a new neighborhood uh, in Utah. When we, the first house we owned, bought a little starter home in Utah in, uh, I guess, 2002. And uh, a, a, we went to church one Sunday and then a, a woman called up my wife 
the next weeks, you know, super bubbly and chatty. Just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. You see where this is going. Yeah, of course. You know, 15 minutes of chit chat later. Hey, this might seem like an odd question, but what do you do with your photos? Mindy was like, my, my photos? Yeah, yeah. What do you do with all your photos? Oh, I think I, I just keep them in a box under my bed. Oh. And she was like, and she was just. You could hear the hooks. Her reel just spinning. Her, her spiel was um, either shock or feigned shock. You do what? Right. Like, how could someone do something so awful with their photos as keep them in a box under your bed? So you don't scrapbook? Oh, dear. Oh, no, I, I really don't. You know, and so this woman turned on her scrapbooking pitch and Mindy was like, well, you know, as I said, I don't really scrapbook. I just have a box of photos that I need to sort at some point. When I hear someone say they don't scrapbook, I know it's just someone who's never scrapbooked. When I hear someone say, I don't scrapbook, I get out my Browning. Mm. Like that's, it's, it's, it's a sign of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there, there's a whole industry. Have you been to one of these parties? Have you ever been like actually like sat on the couch in a, in a full living room? I have not. I was invited to a Pampered Jeff party in college. There were college kids trying to make an extra buck doing this. Oh, you know, uh, my sister briefly did Cutco knives and she oh. came over to our house and showed us how how well they sharpen or how sharp they slice or whatever mm-hmm. it is they how do. How slice they sharp. Something. Uh, do you have firsthand MLM experience? I went to a, <clears throat> it wasn't Tupperware. I went to a party in 1977. My best friend's mom went through a phase where she was going to, and she worked full time, but she was going to supplement her income by having these parties. Weren't you like a, a nine-year-old boy? I was something? a nine-year-old. And I went to the party because my friend invited me. I guess he said, you know, my mom is having the, a party. He's like, part of the problem. Can I bring a friend? What they'll do is they'll say, oh, you know, I, I just need to practice. I just started yeah. selling this and I just need a group to practice on. And of course they're going to hit you up. Yeah. And she was selling candles or something, some sort of candles or candle holders. And I ended up buying one. <laughs> uh, like I, I got, I broke my piggy bank. I was all excited about it. MLMs of the future. Please note. <laughs> John Roderick will buy your scrapbooking stuff. Nine-year-old boys. That's your new market. Buy your candles. It's true that nine-year-old boys are terrible. I was a very tight-fisted nine-year-old. I was, I was too. I knew what I was saving up for, but you apparently had been wowed by the candle. I was. I was. Uh, I was very tight-fisted, but I think the pitch was that this would be a good gift for my mom. That's. I'm sure that's what she said. That's and, what the book told her to say. Yeah, and so I. I was excited because I. Because it was the one thing I would break my piggy bank to do was to buy a gift for my mom. And I did give it to her, uh, the candle holder, and we still have it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It's still, it's in a, it's in a box of Christmas things. Do you think it's possible that you were hypnotized with the candle? Hypnotized. Do you think she used the candle on you oh. to get you to, to get you interested in candle culture? You know, I it was I, I felt like this party was very exciting. Um, grown, were, grown up, right? There were all these women that I, you know, that were from around the neighborhood. They'd all kind of dressed up for it. You know, it was like yeah. they came. It was a night out. It was a time you knew your neighbors, yeah. which is you know probably a barrier to entry in many places today. They were drinking wine. They were laughing. Uh, Aaron's mom gave a gave a presentation about these, and I just I got I don't know I got swept up in it. 
in, uh, you know, the end of Mindy's story, of course, is that once she told this woman she didn't scrapbook, this woman never talked to her again oh. at, at, at church or elsewhere. Well, sure. Because she, you, either you scrapbook or you don't. She's not interested in, I mean, I don't even think that was the barrier. It was like, you know, if, if you're not in my downline, I don't have time for you. You're not, you're not helping my bottom line. Uh, the FCC keeps a, the FTC keeps a pretty close eye on uh, multi-level marketing. I don't, what do you say? That's not a scheme. Multi-level marketing outfits. Yeah, outfits. Uh, because some of them are literal pyramid schemes. The internal test the FTC uses is often internal consumption. How many people are uh, high on their own supply? Basically, uh-huh. like if are you buying stuff? on are you are you are you buying product just to get up to the the sales tier where you can claim a commission and then putting a bunch of hand cream on a credit card because that's that's what's very common here people will not do as well as they thought they will buy their own stuff and stockpile it and accumulate credit card debt in order to make these commission tiers i see and often they victimize i think herbalife in particular has been criticized for victimizing vulnerable populations latinos for example they you know they'll they'll go to developing world cities and sell this as a way you know way to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you know bring people into further financial ruin i think in a lot of cases to the degree that china has now banned or china for a while banned any western multi-level marketing scheme huh. obviously a place with a new middle class is perfect for that and in the muslim world in particular it is often explicitly haram. Uh, it sounds haram. It's not, I mean, it should be haram. It's haram to me. It's not Quranic in that, you know, you are giving uh, exchange without credit and credit without exchange or whatever. You know, it violates sure. the Quranic principles of sound business sense. So there's places you literally can't do it. But a big part of putting a, a in Utah, it's so huge that, you know, everybody on your block, you know, half the people, half the women on your block have have or are selling something, and a bunch of them, you know, you're going to know 10 people who work for one of the big companies. My brother was the in-house counsel at one of these places, and he just hated it because, you know, thanks to Orrin Hatch, it's now legal to make vague good health claims about this stuff without actually doing any FDA approval processes. Right. It's just uh, vitamin C and ground-up horse hooves. um, So he would spend his whole time keeping the sales staff from making specific Oh, prosecutable that seems claims. like such a fun job. Oh, the sales staff hated him. <laughs> you know, the higher-ups hated him because he's the guy who always says no. Right. And he was afraid he was going to just be practicing MLM law for life. And he jumped when he saw a tech company, and he's much happier doing, you know, IP law and uh, and tech stuff. Oh, yeah. The, he keeps his hands clean with IP law. Right. But not but not uh, unwrinkled, you know. If he had stayed with Tahitian Noni. He would have the power of Noni Berry, keeping his skin smooth and unlined. But one of the things that really made this kind of scammy business model uh, an acceptable part of American public life was the genius move by Mary Kay Ash to introduce pink Cadillacs. Uh, the Mary Kay organization has a bunch of, you know, giving these tiers is very smart because it makes people really kill themselves to get to the next tier. Right. Uh, you know, this, it's the same reason you give a Boy Scout a merit badge, you know? They, they, the, the salespeople will wear little gold jewel brooches called the Ladder of Success, where you get a new little jeweled pin on each rung of the ladder. Oh, wow. So you can look right at someone's lapel and know where they are. And tell how good they are at selling, oh. uh, at selling eye shade. Uh, but the real stroke of genius was, of course, the cars. In 1968... She went to a Lincoln lot and said she wanted a custom 
pink Cadillac to help. You uh, can't get a Cadillac at a Lincoln lot. Sorry, she went to a Lincoln lot and asked for a custom Lincoln to publicize her booming new business. And they gave her kind of a text as well, little lady, when you, when your husband agrees to, yeah, right. by the way, in the, in the, in the meantime, she and her husband had planned this, uh, this hand cream business based on the Tanner recipes only to have him die of a heart attack right before. This is her second husband. Right. Her second husband died of a heart attack immediately before they were going to launch this. And she ended up kind of having to do it without her beloved George. Wow. Who died when they were on the brink of this. And she made a go of it by herself. So she was in no mood to have some Lincoln salesman. Call her a little lady. Give her the runaround and say, you come in with your husband and we'll put you in a Lincoln. So she goes to a Cadillac dealership where they are only too happy to sell her. Sure, there you go. General Motors comes to the rescue. (laughs) And uh, But her, what she wants is one that matches a very specific shade of Mary Kay blush. She shows the mountain laurel and says, can you do this? And they say, well, we've never done that before, but okay, we'll, we'll do a custom paint job. And so... Cadillac began, this Cadillac dealership began painting Cadillac's mountain laurel for her. Let me just say that the 1968 Cadillac front end is, I think, one of the most beautiful American cars. It was a Coupe de Ville. Is that what you're picturing? Oh, Their largest sedan. And I think that they are, especially the, um, the convertible, the 1968 convertible Coupe de Ville is, uh, is or I'm sorry, I guess it would be the DeVille the uh, the convertible Deville such a uh, such an icon I've I've always coveted one I'm looking I want to look at one right now and futurelings I encourage you if there's a if there are any, if there's a wrecked Coupe de Ville yeah go. if there are any futurelings out there who have a 1965 through 68 Cadillac Coupe de Ville convertible that want to sell it to me it's uh, no, I'll buy it no picture no internet photo can contain this car no it's it's spilling off the front and the back of every picture I look at it's as big as a house it really is that is fantastic look at that and you can imagine the effect one of these would have oh. in bright Mary Kay pink well it would enter your field of vision and be there for like three minutes before it exited the other side <laughs> what was that pink <laughs> rectangle uh, and in 1969 she decided her top five sellers should have one as well. Um, and that began the tradition of thus began a fleet of pink Cadillacs. And as you mentioned, uh, the American South, this was not new. Elvis famously had a showy pink Cadillac that he toured in. And I think that's what gives us the Bruce Springsteen B side. In pink which, Cadillac. I don't know if you've listened to the lyrics, it's clear that a pink Cadillac is not a car. He, he loves the is it a dildo. Yes. Bruce Springsteen is singing about using his favorite pink Cadillac, which he gets from under the mattress. No. uh, The boss uh, is saying that he loves a woman mostly because he just loves driving her pink Cadillac. So it's, 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 oh dear. The, the, he's singing about her euphemism. Oh my goodness. Have I, are the, are you going to go burn all your Springsteen records? Well, no, I didn't have any Springsteen records, but, but you know, I, I'm not sure whether I like him more or less, maybe more. So that you know that that post dates the Mary Kay thing and and makes kind of the the saucy joke of of a of a wife of a woman driving a pink Cadillac sure. a little funnier. But there was some because of Elvis, there was prior art for pink Cadillac signifying showy prosperity in right. the American South. Um, today, a uh, if you reach the sales director level of Mary Kay success, that would be selling one hundred thousand dollars a year. You and your unit. Oh boy. Um, you get what they it's call, you get to join the, <laughs> it is a big unit. They don't make the DeVille anymore. Of course it, uh, it, it 
when the Deville was succeeded by the DTS, Mary right. Kay began to use the DTS, and today it's the XT5, the crossover I saw at Glacier, uh, now in this new pearly pink cover. But uh, you get you join the career car program, huh. and you can choose to get a monthly stipend, or you can choose to drive the car. And there's different levels. Like so you, you don't own the car. That's the thing. A lot of people don't know this. It's a two-year lease. Whoa. And at the end of the lease, you can either buy the car or you can sell it. And if you sell it back to the dealership, they will just repaint it. Because you're not allowed to, like, they have a, Mary Kay has a specific agreement with Cadillac that you can't drive a car that color. They won't sell a car that color to anyone but a certified Mary Kay 100K year sales director. Oh, so that's why you never see them on the on the used market? I would think that, like, bring a trailer would be full of pink Right, Mary in, in the same Cadillac. way that you see old cop cars or hearses yeah, or, or whatever. Or Wienermobiles. In the, ooh, I don't want to know how they repaint that. <laughs> they, in the case of these, the, the dealership is obligated to repaint them and resell them as a normal color Cadillac. There are different tiers, by the way. Like at the lowest, I don't know what these are called, but uh, you, you, know, you start out by getting a, a silver Malibu, then you can work your way up to a, or, or like a black Chevy Cruze, I think. You can work your way up to a black Mustang. That's kind of the newest edition. And at the top level, I think it's the pink Cadillac. And maybe a lot of people go for the black Mustang or whatever, just because they don't want to be associated with, you know, 100% associated with driving that. In the the 80s, I remember showing, there was the woman that had the pink Cadillac, but then there was, someone showed up, a woman showed up driving a pink K car. And it was, (laughs) and it said Mary Kay on it. And it was obviously like, that must have been one of the lower tiers at the, the time, time, yeah. Instead of the Chevy Cruze, but it was still pink. You know, it was that bright pink. It was just like not, not, not yet a Cadillac level. The impression I get today is you you only get pink at the highest level. I like see. like that's membership hath its privileges, and it's more about the color. I mean, also the Cadillac XT5 is a much nicer car than the Chevy Cruze. But really, what what certifies you is the color. In 1993, Mary Kay made headlines for breaking down one of America's last and most important gender barriers. Uh, um, what she she was elected president of the United States? Do you not remember that brief period? <laughs> wow, a lot of people don't know this, but between George H. W. Bush and Bill Clinton, the presidential line of succession is such that Mary Kay Ash was briefly no uh, the first male Mary Kay consultant earned a pink Cadillac. Oh wow! Craig Hogan and his sixty woman downline of Houston. Craig Texas. Hogan and his sixty woman downline won the uh, Tony Award. What that a year. name for a band! <laughs> uh, he uh, he loved the men's line of Mary. Kay. There's a men's line of Mary Kay product. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just something for our listeners to keep in mind if you want to send us a gift. Keep your fingers soft like a like a child's bottom. It's uh, but only to this day only two percent of their sales force is, is male. Uh, but Craig Hogan, kind of a uh, a, a blonde, toothy mm-hmm. uh, Texan man. I don't want to speculate. He, he's now into he's now does luxury realty for Coldwell Banker. But he was recently interviewed by a podcast for America's largest LGBT uh, real realtor uh, professional group, right? Whatever you call it. So I assume that Craig Hogan was the uh, you know the the flamboyant uh, pal of all the of all the wealthy Texas women, mm-hmm. um, and he made he went all on all the morning shows because he was became the first male pink Cadillac drivers. And in fact, I'm his, sure that made him a lot of money. His Texas vanity plate said first man." Oh yeah, but he but he was not. But his his wife wasn't the governor. He was the first. 
<laughs> yeah, the first Mary Kale the first person. man of Texas was not Ann Richards' husband. <laughs> it was uh, this guy who's who's um, you know could use his his sassy catty gossip to to get all the women to uh, to buy Mary Kay. So so that's an important glass ceiling broken. Thank you, Craig. Well, so is Mary Kay still with us? Mary Kay Ash uh, passed away uh, after a long illness uh, in 2001. She she had a stroke in 1996 and was never in good health for the last five years of her life. Oh, that's too bad. Um, but her, it's still a family company. I think they went public and then re-went private at some point in the 90s. And you know what? She actually left her li- big Liberace mansion at some point and moved into a much smaller house. And so she became one of these... I guess it's at a higher level of wealth, you become the, the, the person, you know, the, just the guy driving a Volvo level, you know, yeah, where, that's right. where it's less showy, you know, so she would still be seen around Texas, just pushing her own shopping cart in the supermarket. She'd have a security guy behind her, uh-huh. but she was now at the post Liberace level of wealth. And she was a, a beloved fixture of, uh, of Dallas, Texas. Yeah. That's uh, how do you, how, where do you find that balance between like being, um, being uh, like achieving all your wealth dreams, but then also like being a jello salad person. You came from jello salad and you returned to jello salad. You must have to go through the fire. You must have to have your rumspringa yeah. of, of buying a stupid Lamborghini right. before you graduate into into Volvo dad yeah. mode. You come back around and you're like, you know, I loved when my avocado stove matched my avocado refrigerator. How do I get back to that? And that concludes Mary Kay Pink Cadillacs, entry 762.2K0930, certificate number 29266 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I'm also on Instagram under my same name. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. We encourage you to seek out one of our fan groups, like, for instance, the Future Links on Facebook. Try to sell them Cutco knives and and Pampered Chef pizza cutters. They're going to try to sell you on mail trucks and Quonset huts. You try to sell them scrapbooking stuff. (laughs) Let's what, see who wins. Whatever you do, don't keep your photos in a box under the bed. You'll you'll have no friends immediately. There are Reddit. Uh, there's a Reddit fan group that we're on TikTok. Uh, we're uh, we're archived at the Library of Congress. Check out our SoundCloud. Uh, you can mail us things, including a 1965 to 1968 Cadillac DeVille convertible, at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five, and in our own odd. Multi-level marketing. It's scheme. not really multi-level because well, we, I, I'm we about do, to make it mark multi-level. You're going to see if the Patreon donors can recruit. I would like you to go out and get five friends to donate to our Patreon.com/slash/OmnibusProject uh, Patreon account, and it's not donate really; it's support. And for every ten people, you ten of your friends that you get to uh, donate, I'm sorry, support the Omnibus Project at patreon.com slash omnibus project we will up your 
futureling level. Up the ladder of success we're you gonna, go. We're going to bump you up one level from your own level of donation to the next highest level of privilege and access. Wait, are we really going to do that? Yes. So if you get ten, if you can document that you got ten <laughs> people to donate to the show, we're going to give you a free upgrade. Well, you know what? Uh, like people have people write us apologetically saying, you know, these are really tough times. Yeah. I, I can't really donate every month to a podcast, and you know, I feel I feel bad that they feel bad. Yeah, this is a free podcast. I don't feel bad. You should you should donate because you enjoy supporting the community, and you're getting something. Out of it. That's true. Uh, but people sometimes ask, how can I support the show? Uh, is there, are there other ways to support the show beyond becoming a Patreon supporter? And absolutely. I yeah. mean, get your rich friends to support the show. <laughs> that's 100% true. It is a multi level marketing answer. Go to your church, uh, or when new people come to your church, call them up, welcome them to town, and ask them which podcast they like. Uh-huh. And if they only listen to podcasts under their bed, you slam the phone down. That's right. No, but quite seriously, like uh, writing a writing a review for a podcast you enjoy, or That's telling or point. telling friends about a podcast you enjoy. That's priceless. Yeah, priceless. go go on iTunes and uh, and give us a, a good review. That would be a wonderful thing for someone to do. Build up a downline of uh, omnibus listeners. Convert if, your friends. If nothing else, they will applaud your your wonderful taste in recordings. Walk around your neighborhood with a giant boombox, listening to omnibus. And when people ask you what you're listening to. Even if they seem kind of annoyed at first, I'm sure you can convince As them. As they cock their, their guns. <laughs> Re-elect Mayor Goldie Wilson. Ba, 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 ba. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We have no idea if Mayor Goldie Wilson's going to be elected or not. I hope he does. He'll sure clean up this town. He will. We hope and pray that... I like the sound of this. We, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come but if the worst comes soon then mary Kay cosmetics is our last show and what a fitting what a fitting uh, tombstone for good, the omnibus good that note will to be. go out on <laughs> like all our recordings this could be our final word we have no idea but if providence allows we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus omnibus